the book of Judges, chapter 6, Judges chapter 6. Many years ago, I, I decided to preach through the book of Jeremiah in, in my church in Pennsylvania. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Sharon and I uh, ministered in Pennsylvania for 25 years until just a few years ago when we moved back to South Carolina to help take care of my mom. And uh, I would make it the habit, as is the habit here at Park, to, to preach through a series, preach through a book. And uh, so I decided to preach through the book of Judges, and I thought I knew about Gideon. Uh, he was the guy who took 300 guys armed with pots and torches and killed a whole bunch of other people. And then I started reading the story and realized just how much I didn't know about him. And he has come to be one of my heroes of the faith, as, is, as he's mentioned in the text that uh, Daniel read to us, uh, Hebrews 11. He is one of those who put armies to flight. In chapter 6, we find out that uh, the people of Israel, verse 1, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven, for seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel because of Midian, and because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents and they would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted so that they laid waste the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian, and the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. This is part of the formula that you see in the book of Judges repeated over and over and over again. The people of Israel forsake the Lord, so the Lord brings an enemy against them in order to cause them to suffer enough to where they will cry out to the Lord for mercy. And so they're in this, this process of suffering. They've been suffering for seven years. And now, finally, they have been brought low to the point where they will cry out to the Lord for help. So they did. They cried out on account of the Midianites. And the Lord says to them through a prophet, he says, I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians. I drove these people in this land out before you. I gave you their land. I said to you, I'm the Lord your God. You should not fear the gods of the Amorites, but you have not obeyed my voice. You have not obeyed my voice. This is normal for Israel, unfortunately. So, then enters the angel of the Lord. And in case you don't know, it is understood by many that the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is, the, is an appearance of the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. This is, this is 1,500 years prior to the birth of Christ, if not longer. But the angel of the Lord is worshipped as God, is recognized as God consistently throughout the Old Testament. 
And so the angel of the Lord slash Jesus came and sat under the terebinth at Oprah, which belonged to Joash, the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. Now there are seven points to this message. The first point being Gideon's fear of his enemies. Gideon is in a wine press. A wine press is a basically a hole in the ground. Oftentimes there were two of these pits, one above the other, and as they would bring the grapes to put in the one pit, and as you have seen on some TV shows, surely you have these uh, rather hefty women uh, barefooted walking around crushing the grapes in the upper pit, and the juice flows from that pit into the lower pit. And so they're both recessed into the ground. Midian, uh, G- excuse me, Gideon is in the lower pit thrashing out this wheat because he's afraid. He's afraid he'll be found out. He's afraid the Midianites will discover that he's there. He's afraid that they're going to come and take it like they take everything else. And so he's, this is a an undercover operation so that the, his food isn't stolen by these enemies and possibly he even be killed by them. So that's what Gideon is doing when, verse 12, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, a mighty man of valor. Now that is a prophetic word. That's not an actual fact uh, because Gideon is not a man of valor. He's hiding in a pit from the Midianites. And we'll find out just how much of a man of valor he is not as we work through this text. But he is going to become a man of valor. Again, that's why he's in the list of heroes in Hebrews chapter 11. Because he is. He is going to become. He's, he's going to be changed. He's going to be transformed from this man who's afraid of everything to a man who goes into battle with the Lord and routs a huge army. So, the Lord says to him, the Lord is with you, a mighty man of valor. If the Lord ever had his tongue in his cheek, this was probably one of those occasions. And Gideon said to him, please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us. And given us into the hand of Midian. And I think it's peculiar. It's it's worth noting that Gideon doesn't say, we have forsaken the Lord and that's why the Lord has brought the Midianites against us. He doesn't mention that. He just says now we're suffering at the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord turned to him, verse 14, and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. You know, that verse reminds me of when I was much younger, there was a, I don't know if it was fact or rumor, but there was, there was a, this information being passed around uh, shortly after I graduated from high school that uh, South Carolina had the worst educational record in the whole United States, which is bad enough, 
but then I attended the worst school district in the whole state of South Carolina. So I graduated from the absolutely worst school district in the whole nation. You know, if you, I, who has, I have no right to be standing up in front of anybody teaching about anything except that the Lord uses weak people. And that's, that's what Gideon is saying. My family's the weakest, and of the weakest, I'm the weakest of all of them. I, you know, you got the wrong guy. You, really, you don't realize who you're talking to. You must want somebody else. He sounds like Moses, doesn't he? Moses goes to the burning bush, and God says, go to Egypt, tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And he was like, but, but Aaron, Aaron would be good. Call him. I can't. And it's the very same thing with Gideon. Gideon says, I, I'm, I'm the weakest. My clan is the weakest, and I'm the least in my father's house. I'm the lowest of the low. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you. I'll be with you. I don't care who you are. I'm going to be with you. And you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, Now if, if I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you. And bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay until you return. Gideon's terrified. And one of the things that, that frightened me the most about becoming a Christian was contemplating where the Lord would send me as a missionary if I became a Christian. I was terrified of, of, of putting my trust and confidence in the Lord because now my life is not my own. Uh, it belongs to him. So now he can tell me where to go and what to do. And I was, I was frightened by that. But then it, I, I thought, okay, well, it, it, it's either that or go to hell. You know what I mean? What kind of choice is that? So you, you give your life to the Lord and you trust him. He says here to Gideon, I'm with you. And you're going to defeat these men as though they were just one man. And Gideon says, don't go away. I'll be right back. I want, I want to bring you a gift. So, Gideon's afraid of his enemies, point one. Point two, Gideon's fear of the angel of the Lord. So Gideon goes to his house, he prepares a meal, he brings it back. The Lord says, set it here on this rock. And the Lord takes his staff and touches the rock and instantaneously the meal explodes in fire and is burnt up and the angel of the Lord disappears. We've all seen too much special effects in order for us to get the full impact of that. Gideon's never seen special effects. Gideon's never seen people just disappear. This, and this is not special effects, this is real. This person whom he was speaking with is gone, disappeared. And the meal that he brought suddenly was turned into a burnt offering by the Lord himself. And notice Gideon's response to this. Terrified, absolutely terrified. 22, then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. 
And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. That's a problem. Because God told Moses, no one can see my face and live. I'm going to allow you, I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock here, and I'm going to allow you to peek through this little keyhole and see my backside. And that was so glorious that it lit up Moses' face. And God said, you can't see my face, because if you see my face, it will kill you. That's what Gideon's referring to. He says, I've seen the Lord. I've seen God. Face to face, I'm going to die. He's terrified of the angel of the Lord. But the Lord said to him, verse 23, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Don't fear. Don't be afraid. Isn't that easier said than done? When you're afraid... And someone says, don't be afraid. That's not a whole lot of help usually, all right? But when the Lord says to you, you need not fear. And if he was paying attention, Gideon would have realized that the Lord had plans for him. He wasn't going to die. But the Lord is indeed someone to fear. You remember Isaiah Chapter 6, he finds himself in the presence of the Lord and his immediate response when he sees the Lord on his throne in heaven, he says, woe is me for I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live in the midst of a people of unclean lips. He's, he thinks he's going to die. He thinks he's going to disintegrate right there in front of the Lord. That's, that's the effect of being in the presence of God. It is a fearful thing. He has reason to be afraid. And then the Lord kindly and mercifully says, don't be afraid. Do not fear. Peace, peace be to you. You shall not die. Then point three, Gideon's fear of his own family. This is a, this is a really interesting one for a number of reasons. That same night, verse 25, so this is all happening in one day. This is quite the day for Gideon. That night, the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and put down, pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it. Now, stop there for just a moment. Now, do you, did, you, did you hear what the Lord just told him to do? Gideon, I want you to go home to your father's house and pull down your father's altar to Baal. What's implied by that? Well, that his father is a worshiper of Baal, that his whole house is a worshiper of Baal. And it could very well be, and probably is true, that Gideon himself was a worshiper of Baal. Now, just a few paragraphs back, the Lord said to him, I'm going to send you to fight against the Midianites. You're going to kill them all. So, therefore, go to your father's house and pull down the altar to Baal. What's that got to do with fighting the Midianites? What does the, the altar to Baal have to do with going to war against the Midianites? The Midianites are not the issue. 
Idolatry is the issue. Apostasy is the issue. Israel has turned away from God. Israel has embraced the fertility gods of the pagans that live all around them. Now, why, why is that important? I mean, why embrace the fertility gods? Because you die. It, lack of fertility produces death. Baal was supposedly the god of rain and of thunder. And so if it doesn't rain, you don't have crops. And if your crops don't grow, then you don't have anything to eat. And if you don't have anything to eat, then you starve to death. That's how important Baal was. And so you don't want to make him mad because everybody starves to death if he is angry. And so everybody worships the god of fertility. Not to mention the other things that go along with worshiping gods of fertility. Gideon's first stop is to take care of the core issue. It's, it's not that they're being oppressed, is that, but it's that they're sinning against God. They have abandoned God. And so, he has to go up against his own family, his own father, his own community, and tear down their object of worship. That's hard to do. Uh, I've spent enough time in Mexico, which is 99% Roman Catholic, 99%. When you have a convert in Mexico, and they have to go and tell their families that they're not Catholic anymore, that now they're Christians, that causes problems. That causes lots of problems. They're, they're discarded oftentimes. They're completely rejected by their families oftentimes. We see that happening. If you go against the family religion, regardless of what it is, as long as it's not Christian, if you go against that, you're ostracized. At, at the very least. And so Gideon is going against his own family. The Lord says, verse 26, build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. And so Gideon took 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. Now that's the good part. He did what the Lord told him. But notice the next part of that sentence, the next part of that verse. It says, but because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. Now, there's, this is important because it says that he was afraid. He was afraid of his family. He was afraid of the men of the town, and, the, and there was good reason for him to be afraid of them. But the really good part is that in spite of this fear, it says, Gideon did as the Lord had told him. In his fear, he obeys God. He fears that he may die, but he does it anyway. It is not a sin to be afraid. It is a sin to disobey. And sometimes fear can lead us to disobey God. We have to be obedient regardless of the fear. 
and do what God has commanded us to do. He's terrified of his family, and so this becomes a, a nighttime, a, 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 what, what do they call it, Brian, black ops? Uh, a nighttime operation, thinking, well, maybe, maybe I'll get away with this and nobody will know. Well, that doesn't happen. Verse 28, when the men of the town rose early the next morning, behold, the altar of Baal was broken down and the ash of the side it was cut down. The second bull was offered on the altar that had been built and they said to one another, who did this? And then they inquired a little bit and then somebody said to Gideon did it. And so the men of the town say to his dad, bring out your son that he may die. For he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the ash of the side. We're going to kill your son because he broke down our object of worship. His dad steps in and says, why can't Baal defend himself? And in a rare moment of clarity, everybody says, well, you know, that's a good question. Yeah, why can't Baal defend himself? That's one of the bright, brighter spots in this story, and it seems to be that it's, it's an indication that God is beginning to change their hearts, causing them to realize the darkness the foolishness of worshiping idols. And so Gideon is spared from death by his neighbors. Point four. Gideon's fear of the unknown. Gideon's fear of the unknown. Verse 36. Then Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, and that's significant, Gideon knows what the Lord has said. The Lord has already told him what is going to happen, what's going to take place. But Gideon, he says, if, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, Behold, I'm laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone and it is dry on the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand as you have said. In times past, somehow I thought that this was an act of great faith. I don't know how I came to that conclusion. This is not an act of great faith. It's an act of great doubt. It's, it's, it's an act of lack of faith. I know what you said. No, really, I know what you said. He says it twice, like you said, but I need more. I need more than your word. I need proof. I need, I need some security here. I need you to confirm what you said. So I'm going to lay this fleece out, and, and, and if you would, please, uh, make the fleece wet with the dew, and make the ground all around it dry. We can never make these kinds of demands on God. I don't know that it was a demand, but it's, God's under no obligation to, to answer this request. But he does. Why? Why, do, why does God do this for Gideon? Because he knows he's afraid. Because God is dealing with Gideon as he is. In his weakness. And somebody might say, well, shouldn't he have just picked somebody who was a little more brave and he wouldn't have to go through all this stuff? No. Why? For our sakes. 
I mean, already, how many of us in this story, how many of us can identify with Gideon? I mean, when was the last time you weren't afraid of something? There's, there's fear. Fears abound all the time. And so Gideon is still terrified of this mission that he has to go on. So he says, Lord, just, just, I, I just want to be sure that this is you. I'm not making a, a gigantic mistake because if I'm making a mistake, I'm dead. So I just want to know. So he puts out the fleece, and it was so. Verse 38, when he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. And so Gideon said, okay, well, now I know, and now I can go to war because now I'm convinced. Right? Well, if you're paying attention, that is not what the text says. This is phenomenal. Uh, boldness in the face of God. He knows what God has said. He says, well, I, I, I just need to know more. So God answers him. And then Gideon said to God, verse 39, let not your anger burn against me. He knows he's pushing the envelope. He knows that, he, he knows that this is, that what he's asking for is extraordinary. And so he says, let not your anger burn against me, but let me speak just once more. Please, let me test. Let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only and on the ground let there be dew. And God said, no, I, no, I, do you trust me or not? Thankfully, the Lord did not say that to him. Thankfully, the Lord's mercies are, are great, and he, he deals with us in our weakness. And so God did so that night, and it was dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground there was dew. Gideon is, is so afraid of what he doesn't know. And that's a constant fear, isn't it? We're, we're afraid of what's going to happen. We're afraid of the future. We're afraid I'm going to lose my job. I'm afraid I'm going to get sick. I'm afraid my children aren't going to be able to go to school. I'm afraid, and let's make the list. We just go down the list of fears that we're experiencing even now. I mean, I see the evidence of fear. Literally on your faces because we have been led into this fear and it's pushed and pushed and pushed and many of us have succumbed to it. We don't need to be afraid. Wear the mask, okay, but don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. The Lord is with us. Is he not? Do we want to put him to the test like Gideon did? This is not a good thing that he did. This is not commendable behavior. What Gideon should have done is said, I know what you said, and I trust you. And I'm afraid, yes, but I'm going to do it anyway. That's what he should have done, but he didn't. And I think the reason God picked him was so that we would read this story and be encouraged. That when we're fearful, God doesn't say, well, then forget you. I'll just find somebody else. 
But he doesn't do that. He's merciful. He's kind. Point five. Gideon's faith is tested. Gideon's faith is tested. Verse one. Then Jerubbaal, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod, and the camp of Midian was north of them. And he has, what has happened is he has sent out word that there's going to be a battle. He calls for men to come to the fight. And so 32,000 men show up for this battle which is significant until you realize that they're going up against 135,000 men. 32,000 against 135,000 is not good odds, right? Even Jesus said, what king who has 10,000 men doesn't seriously consider if he can win a battle against another king with 20,000 men? He would be wise to send an emissary to go and decide, you know, figure out the terms of peace. Jesus said that. That would be the wise thing to do. But in this case, it's completely different because it's Jesus who has said, you're going to go and you're going to fight them and you're going to kill them all. So Gideon sends out the message, come, we're, we're going to battle. We're going against the Midianites. 32,000 guys show up. Verse 2. The Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. And isn't that, you know, isn't that uh, um, accurate of the human heart? We, we want to take credit for everything, everything good. We want to blame others for the bad stuff, but we want to take credit for the good stuff. And so if we go into this battle and we win the battle, then the Lord already knows that these guys are going to try to claim the glory for themselves and not give glory to God. He says, I'm not having that. That is not going to happen. So here's what we're going to do. Gideon, you tell all these guys that if any of them, notice it says in verse 3, whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. What? If you're scared, soldier, you can go home now. Has there ever been a soldier that was getting ready to go to war that wasn't scared? I mean, and so 22,000 of them head home. And if you're among the 10,000 watching the 22,000 go away that way and you're looking at the 135,000 over there that you're going to go fight, it's like, where, what? This is crazy. This is not a good move. Except that the Lord said, do it. Okay. Okay. I, I, I don't get this. This is, this is not real good strategic planning here. But if you're scared, you can go home. 22,000 leave. You know, some people would call that cowardice. Maybe in this case it's just plain mercy. But the Lord says, I'm not going to have you rob me of my glory. 
everybody's going to know when this is over who did it. And it's not going to be you. It's going to be me. So 22,000 leave, 10,000 remain. And to make the story a little bit shorter, the Lord says, send them down to the brook and have them drink and watch them. And I don't, I don't think anybody really knows why it was done this way. This is just the manner in which the Lord culled the 300 out of the 10,000. And the Lord says to Gideon, take the 300 and send the rest home. Wow. Wow. Verse 7, and the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men who lapped, I will save you. I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. Let the others go, every man to his home. So they went. But he retained 300 men. So that is certainly a test of faith, is it not? It's, <laughs> I, I give Gideon some credit for not abandoning ship at this point. Now, now's the time because things are getting strange, very strange. Then verse 9, point 6, Gideon's fears are suddenly relieved. Gideon's fears are relieved. That same night, in other words, the same day that he called the men and sent all of them back home except for 300, that same day, or that night, the Lord said to him, Arise and go down against the camp, the camp of the Midianites, for I have given it into your hand. But, if you are afraid, which is, <laughs> you know, by this time in the text, it's like, well, that's a given, isn't it? Of course he's afraid. He's afraid of everything. And the Lord says, if you're afraid to go down into the camp, go down with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say. And afterward, your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. So, then he went down with Pura, his servant. And why did he take Pura, his servant? Because he was afraid. <laughs> That's what the Lord said. If you're afraid, take your servant. Okay, servant, let's go. Why? Because I'm afraid. I, I'm terrified. This is, not, this is not fun. This is not fun. You know, this is almost like, you know, waiting for major surgery, isn't it? And you're, you're sitting in the waiting room, and you know they're going to, and so you're just, you're just waiting and waiting. And the longer it takes, the worse it is. And it might be that's why that little phrase, the same night, happened. Because the longer you put it off, the worse it gets. The anticipation of something makes it even worse than it actually is. And so we want to get this over with. Let's get it over with tonight. Go down into the camp. Listen to what they're saying. Listen to what the Midianites are saying. And again, to shorten up the story a little bit, Gideon and Pura go down, and what, what a wondrous thing the sovereign hand of God is. He goes to a, a random tent, and there's two guys sitting out there by the tent, and the one guy says to the other, look, I had a dream. You don't believe this dream I had. 
uh, there was this barley cake that rolled down off the hill into the camp and knocked over the tent and knocked it flat. Now, how would you interpret that? That he ate a bad pizza or something, you know, that, that, what, that, that doesn't even make any sense. A, bar, a, 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 a big bagel rolls down the hill and knocks over a tent. What does that mean? Well, the other guy says, that's Gideon. Gideon is coming, he's going to kill us all. How does this guy get that from this dream? God. God is sovereign over the dream, and God is sovereign over the interpretation. I never would have figured that out, but, but God has caused them to believe this. That Gideon is coming, and they're all going to die. And apparently they're not the only ones. Apparently, this is, this is spreading through the entire camp so that they're all afraid. 12, verse 12. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance. And their camels were without number as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. He told him that. And he says, this is the sword of Gideon. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. Verse 15, as soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, what did he do? What does the text say? Verse 15, he what? He worshiped. He worshiped. This is the first time in this entire story that Gideon has worshiped. He worshiped God. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. This is a done deal. We're, we're gonna, we, we are going to go down there. And God has given them. And this is the first time he believes it. God has told him over from, from their first meeting. God has said, Go, you're going to kill them all like one man. Go in this strength. That I give you. I'm going with you. I will be with you. But this is the first time he believes it. Because he hears his enemies speaking about their own demise at Gideon's hand. That's astounding. That is amazing. God says, go down there and listen. Go listen to what they're saying. And God has convinced them that they're all going to die. Verse 16, he divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets into the hands of all of them and empty jars with torches inside the jars. Now, if you're going to war, hand-to-hand -hand combat, this, this is not neat and tidy war where somebody punches a button and thousands of people die. This is hand-to-hand. -hand. You're going you're gonna to go to, into battle, and you're going to have to fight a guy standing right in front of you that you can see. You might want to take a sword. These guys don't. This is the most ridiculous weaponry ever. What do they take? Empty jars, torches, and trumpets. That is, that's not an impressive arsenal. But that's what they take. 
Verse 17, and he said to them, look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. And so that's what they do. That's what they do. By the way, point seven was Gideon worships God and obeys. Just so you know, I kind of skipped that. Verse 21, every man stood in his place around the camp and all the army ran. The Midianite army ran. They cried out and cried, screamed, cried out, terrified, terrified by God and fled. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. The Midianites begin killing each other because God has put this fear in their hearts. So now the shoe's on the other foot. Who's afraid now? <laughs> the enemy is afraid, and Gideon and his army are bold. He's this, suddenly he has become this man of valor that Jesus said he would be. Suddenly he's the man that's listed in Hebrews 11 who puts armies to flight. Suddenly, this frightened, fearful, weak man believes what God says and obeys. And the enemy is put to flight. Beloved, we, I, I want to reiterate this. I want you to notice that not once in this entire account is Gideon rebuked for his fear. Not once. You remember Jesus gets in a boat with the disciples. He crawls in the back and goes to sleep. They go out on the Lake Sea of Galilee. Big storm comes up. What do the disciples do? These accomplished fishermen think they're, they're going to die. And so they run to Jesus and they say, Lord, save us or we perish. We're, we're all going to drown. And Jesus says, oh, ye of little faith, why are you afraid? And he throws them all overboard because they don't have much faith and because they're afraid, right? And that's the end of the gospel. Because they're so fearful. Because they have so little faith. And he's just, he just sick and tired of this. Sick and why did he pick these guys in the first place? Go find somebody else to do, that'll do the job. Another occasion, disciples in the boat, rowing across the sea. It's at night, even worse. You know, it's bad enough if you're in a storm during the daytime. If you're in the storm at night out on the Sea of Galilee, it's even worse. And suddenly, all the disciples see something walking across the water toward them. They think it's a ghost, and they scream out in fright and terror. And Jesus says, it's me, don't be afraid. And so Peter says, well, can I walk to you? And Peter, the Lord says, come. And so Peter steps out of the boat, starts walking across the water. He gets to Jesus and he starts to sink. And he says, Lord, save me because I perish. And Jesus says, Peter, ye of little faith, forget it. And Peter just sinks under the waves, never to be seen or heard from again because he didn't have enough faith and he was afraid. Right? 
It's not a sin to be afraid. It is a sin when we allow our fears to cause us to disobey what God has called us to do. We have a a boldness and a courage that comes from the Holy Spirit within us. And we need to not necessarily just jettison all of our fears and become bold and courageous and men and women of valor. It's okay to be afraid. It's not okay to, dis- to disobey. So in our fears, there's, there's plenty to be afraid of. We look at the news and, and it causes fear. We, we look at this virus and it causes fear. We, we, we wonder what's going to happen, what's going to take place tomorrow, the next day, the next week, is school going to start? It's a constant feed of fear. Don't bow to it, beloved. Why? Why can I say that? Because the Lord's with us. He has promised to never, ever leave us nor forsake us. And oftentimes, it's God who leads us into these things that cause the fear in the first place. But we trust him, do we not? We trust him. We're afraid. That's okay. Follow the shepherd. Just, just be good, obedient sheep and follow your good shepherd. Wherever he leads, just follow him. And if you're afraid, that's okay, but keep following. Father, thank you for the example of Gideon that in spite of his fears, in spite of his weaknesses, he was used in a mighty way to accomplish purposes that he never would have thought possible. And we don't know how you're going to use us in this current environment but we pray father that you would give us grace to live above our fears or to at very at the very least live through our fears and follow hard after you we pray these things in jesus name and all god's people said